Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. G'day. My name is Adam Jones. Today we are talking about the book by Brené Brown, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to Be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. Nice. Mate, I must admit, I really enjoy the first two pages. Really did not enjoy pages three through to 80 or 90. <laughs> and then the middle third, sort of 90 to 160, picked up again for me and then maybe dropped off a little again. Yeah. But the middle bit was awesome. The start was really awesome. And yeah, I thought it was a, a fantastic book. I really liked it. So I, I got onto this after I was listening to Oprah's yeah. podcast, actually, and uh, yeah. Brene Brown was on. And she said the quote, which is at the start of the book, and that's what the whole book is based on, essentially. Yeah, nice. And it's pretty sick. Is, uh, should we... No, we might as well hit it, yeah? Yeah, so she says, or he, or the big... big Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt. So the, the quote is from his speech, Citizenship in Republic, or better known as The Man in the Arena. So he says... It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end of... In the end, the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, he fails daring greatly. Love it. Man, it's powerful stuff. It's good shit, man. And this is from, that was from 1910, he made that speech. So yeah, basically, you know, the critic doesn't count. It's not the person who points out how the strong man stumbles, but the person who's actually buddy in there getting stuck in and doing it, trying That's hard, daring greatly. That's the point. It's, I think it's an inv- invitation. This book yep. is to step in the arena and yep. probably try and do something with your life and then what the book goes through is a lot of different, I guess, themes that, that go with that. And, and a lot of it is, is about vulnerability. So as mm. you're stepping in, into the arena, you know, and you're, you're presenting some of your work in front of people and all that kind of stuff, you're vulnerable to attack and uh, failure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Brene defines vulnerability. She says it's not knowing victory or defeat. It's understanding the necessity of both. There's always going to be some victory. There's always going to be some defeat. So engage, be all of that. Mm. So our willingness to engage with our vulnerability determines our depth of courage and the clarity of purpose. So the level to which we protect ourselves from being vulnerable is a measure of our fear and disconnection. So if you're always trying to put a mask on and protect yourself Mm. from being vulnerable and being someone else, it's because you're fearful. But it takes courage to take the mask off and then, I guess, show your true self or whatever you're doing Yeah, and uh, yeah, showing your vulnerability. Yeah, so essentially take that mask off, step into the arena, whatever that arena is, uh, you know, at any aspects of life, step into that arena. You know, have these important things, make these important decisions, put your stuff out there, be creative. You know, have conversations, have courage, mm. be willing to engage. So, I guess one of the opposite things of being vulnerable that Brene talks about is the idea of perfection. Mm. So, the idea of perfection is where you're not waiting to be vulnerable, you're waiting until the point where you're bulletproof, yeah, and until you walk in the arena. But you're really sacrificing the relationships and opportunities that may not be recoverable because you're squandering your precious time and as you're just waiting for this time where, you, where you're perfect. Yeah, I think the uh, I think it's a Voltaire quote, perfect is the enemy of good or perfect is the enemy of done. Saying yeah, that if you're that. always waiting for it to be perfect before you put it out into the world, it's probably not going to get done. Mate, you're I'll tell you a good, um, a good example is probably our podcast. If, yeah. if any of the listeners <laughs> don't want to go to our 
you know, earlier episodes, it was, it was not far, perfect. Not, we're, we're In fact, still, still not. Yeah. <laughs> a long way but off. our early episodes were, you know, they were <laughs> very far from perfect. You just hit record and then just started talking about shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, which is pretty much. But yeah, so <laughs> definitely one of those one of those projects. If we waited to be perfect, it, yeah, know, we still wouldn't have done, done it. Yeah, um, yeah nice. Now, there's a essentially two books in one. She pretty much summarizes her first uh, previous book called The Gifts of Imperfection and the Ten Guideposts to Wholehearted Living. Mm. Um, I might. Should we hit that? No, it's no, too much. Too much. We might say that for the, maybe we'll do that one day. But yeah, she says here, which is good. She's kind of defined what the arena may be, which I think is really important. So it might be a new relationship, an important meeting, your creative process, even a conversation, or just the willingness to engage. So she says, rather than sitting on the sideline and hurling judgment and advice at other people, you must dare to show up yourselves and let yourself be seen. Love it. It's good shit. Mate, so that was all introduction. Chapter one is scarcity. And it's essentially we've got this culture of never enough. You know, I don't have enough. I didn't get enough sleep. You know, I'm not happy enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough things. I don't have enough stuff. Mm. It's a it's our default setting, yeah? For the moment yeah. we wake up, it's just, you know, the feeling that we've, we've never got enough. And I guess we're, she says, we're a culture of self-absorbed people who are interested in power, success, beauty, and being special. Yeah, exactly. And the, the thing is, like... Some people might say the opposite of scarcity is abundance, um, but she says the opposite of scarcity is enough, just being uh, content mm. with what you've got. So that comes up from when we're growing up as kids. So, you know, we, we grow up with this celebrity culture, television, unsupervised social media, and think we're not only as good as the number of likes we get. So yeah, we grow up thinking this this superficial idea that you know we're only gonna be good enough if we get all this this other I guess external attention and appreciation. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, essentially, where does this scarcity come from? She says, you know, it didn't come overnight. It's pretty much people that are always struggling with these issues of you know not being worthy, and it's essentially the whole culture. And she says there's three things that come up. One is shame, uh, and that's if you're being ridiculed or belittled. Uh, one is comparison. So always. You know, it's not healthy competition. It's very unhealthy that we're always comparing ourselves to other people and uh, the guy next door who's got, you know, better a better car than we do. And the third one is disengagement in that essentially if we, we can either just switch off, we can tap out, we can disengage. We're not stepping into the arena by daring greatly. So she says the opposite of scarcity, you know, I guess one of the solutions is the wholehearted living, she says. So, you know, we, we're called to dare greatly every time we challenge this idea of this social climate of scarcity. So if we live wholeheartedly, and so at the core of this, it's uh, being being vulnerable and understanding your worthiness, facing uncertainty, facing exposure and emotional risks, and just knowing that you're enough. Yeah, nice. Chapter two, um, debunking the vulnerability myths. So she goes through a whole bunch of myths. And one myth is that vulnerability is weakness. Yeah, so the idea of that is our rejection of vulnerability uh, stems from our associations with, with fear, shame, grief, sadness, and disappointment. So she says that it's not um, weakness. She instead says that vulnerability is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Now, they're not weak. Uh, obviously, they're not safe uh, You know, with uncertainty and risk, but they're so necessary, so important to be able to do good shit yeah that's right so if you're rejecting vulnerability then you're also rejecting uncertainty and risk which means there's not no upside either so she has a few good examples here so it might be loving someone who may not love you back so you Mm. know it might be scary throwing out there being the first to say that 
uh, sharing an unpopular position, uh, opinion, initiating yep. sex, mm. another one starting a business. So it might be, you know, with a business, you're really stepping up to the plate and striking, but stepping back up to the plate after you've failed a certain amount of times mm. and you're getting ridiculed by your mates and all that kind of stuff, it, it, you are really facing a, a vulnerable kind of, kind of point. Yeah, that's it, mate. If you just step up to the plate, take another swing. Yeah, very, so very important stuff. She says it, it's it's like feeling naked on stage and hoping for applause when everyone is laughing. Yeah, now I think she, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure she con- contradicts or not contradicts, but says there's a difference between being uh, like uh, vulnerable in the sense of being uh, open to attack or damage or being wounded, and that some people are they want to experience this vulnerability, this positive aspects of uncertainty or risk, but they don't want to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, but it's almost like you can't have one without the other. Yeah. You always got to take those risks. And, you know, there is a chance that you might uh, cop a bit of damage, but that's all part of it. Yeah, it's good stuff. So that was myth number one. Myth number two was I don't do vulnerability. And that's a myth. You've got to do it. We're, we're, it all, we're all vulnerable. Yeah. So, you know, don't <laughs> yeah. just wait. Your, your yeah, you can't, you can't choose. Yeah, no <laughs> choice. <laughs> myth number three. And that's our interpretation of that myth. Yeah. You know, she, she'd probably explain that a little bit. <laughs> myth number three is vulnerability is letting it all hang out. And so that's not a good thing either. So what, some people might say, I'm being authentic. I'm being vulnerable. I'm being completely transparent and showing everyone everything. But that's also not the way to go. Yeah, you're not going to go up to the, the, the bloke at the cafe and say, oh, yeah, I had my second miscarriage yesterday. Or, yeah. you know, your deepest... That's pretty your intense, deepest, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> obviously not me. Uh, but, yeah, it's your deepest stuff. It's Trust is built one marble at a time. So yeah. it's building trust with people and then, then being vulnerable. Yeah, and that's what she says. You know, sometimes people might... Like, it's almost taking the easy way out by sharing everything or sharing with strangers, but... To actually be someone with you really trust and like and want to be liked by is some ser- is serious vulnerability. Yeah. And myth number four was we can go it all alone. So, you know, if you're on the arena and you're, you're trying something new, you might get kicked down and you'll be on the ground, but you need a helping hand to pick you up when you're, when you're getting smashed, essentially. Yeah, yeah correct. Uh, chapter three was understanding and combating shame. And she says it's like gren- gremlin ninja warrior training. Yeah. So... You know, a lot of people say, I'm not good at... If someone says, I'm not good at vulnerability, it means we're damn good at shame, she says. Mm. So... And shame... Essentially, shame is a big a big part of it, yeah? Yeah. Almost the uh, epitome of daring greatly. So, one of the things... Uh, one of the big issues that a lot of us face, she says, is once you think your self-worth is hitched to what you've created, it is unlikely mm. that you'll share it. So, too much on the line. That's it. If you, you know, if you spend six months writing a book or if you spend uh, you know, a year building this business or writing a song or making a play or anything, if you become attached to the outcome and you become attached to what you've created, then you're more likely to keep it to yourself because there's a chance that if you put it out there, it'll get shot down. Uh, and that's too much risk. Yeah, that's that, scary, yeah. man. It's scary putting out. I guess when you start putting out your own stuff as well for the first time, it, it's always scary. Just yeah, you know, to, to show your friends this is what you've been working on. Yeah, is what you care about, and and your family, and let them know it's you know. Yeah, and it's important to uh, almost separate you from the project. If the project's not good, it doesn't mean that you're not good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the second one, very similar. So, yeah, very similar. So, I think we just combine them two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but shame says, you know, if this is a failure, then you, you know, you're a failure. Yeah. So, it says you shouldn't have even tried. You should have known that you're not good enough. To, you know, you should have known that, you, you know, to do better and just being a little yeah. bitch in the stadium yeah. <laughs> yeah. and just picking on the people. And <laughs> just be a critic. Yeah, be a she critic. says that even if you, 
So we said it's bad if you attach your self-worth to what you've created and it doesn't work out, that's bad. She said it's even worse if you attach your self-worth to what you've created and it is successful because mm. then the next thing you do, you're risking a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. So she says it's the the secret killer of innovation is shame. I guess, mm. you know, tending on the, on the same thing. People are too scared to innovate just because they're scared of looking like an idiot, essentially. Yeah. She says there's a difference between guilt and shame and that guilt is... I did something bad, whereas shame is I am bad. Yep. So guilt is um, specific to this one thing that happened, whereas shame is more pervasive mm. to everything about you. So shame leads to fear. Feed Fear leads to risk aversion. So you're going to avoid risks because you, you, you're scared of being fearful. And yep. risk aversion kills innovation. Yeah. So, you know, to be risky and to take risks, you got to be open to, to uncertainty and, and being vulnerable. So some way she says that we can build this shame resilience and battle shame is that we need to firstly recognize shame, understand its triggers. We need to practice this critical awareness and we need to also be comfortable speaking about shame. Everyone experiences it, so we need to be comfortable speaking about it. Yeah, and she says own your story. So don't be ashamed of it. So whatever your your story might be, it might be, I don't know, your, your failures or your, the, the things that I guess you might be a little bit embarrassed about. Rather than hiding from it, own, own the story, whatever that may mm. be. Now, she talks about how women and men experience shame differently. She talks about how women are caught up in this shame web where other women are constantly saying to them, oh, why don't you have a boyfriend? When are you getting married? How come you haven't had a kid yet? Oh, you just had a first kid. You need to have a second kid soon. Otherwise, it's um, bad on the first one. Um, so other women are shaming them. And whereas men are shameful that they don't want to be seen as weak. They Basically, she says, they don't want to be a pussy. You don't yeah. want to be a fucking pussy. Mm. Um, and... She says that uh, sisters, mothers, girlfriends, wives criticize men for not being op- open and vulnerable enough. But when they are vulnerable, they just shut them, shoot them down. Yeah. So it sounds like women are the problem. Is that what she's, <laughs> <laughs> Is that what she's saying? Women shame other women and women shame men. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that's what it sounds like. So, yeah. So we're, she says men here are standing in front of the cramped wizard closet. And the man's huddled inside. So we have this big wizard closet. You know, <laughs> we're putting on this big facade, but we're essentially yeah. little men are little bitches. Yeah, we're pussies, but we don't want to be a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, she says that we're just cramped by society and that we're, when men are born, they get this big box on the outside that says, don't be a pussy. Um, and essentially, as we get older, well, we get bigger, the box gets smaller. And we're just mm. cramped to conform as to what the idea of a man is. Yeah, nice. And we can't be vulnerable. Yeah. That's right. I've got this uh, yeah. little hollow box body walking around. <laughs> that leads well into chapter four, which is the vulnerability armory. So how we, I guess, you know, put the mask on mm. to hide hide ourselves from being vulnerable. So essentially, she goes through a whole lot of different shields that we use and a whole bunch of daring greatly solutions. Yeah. So one shield is foreboding joy, and she says that when we're young, we greet joy with this uh, delight, but we slowly become joy star because we lose this ability. Or willingness to become vulnerable, which in turn means that joy is something we approach with deep foreboding. Yeah. So with the so when we are young, we we're obviously we don't have this mask on. Yeah. I guess that we might have when we're older. So when we're eleven or twelve, that's when we start. I guess you know getting feeling like we have to put this mask on mm. because we you know don't want to get shot down. But as as we get older, it gets easier and easier for the groove of whatever that mask may be just to fit to whatever your thing is. So then you yeah. can't forget who you were at the start. Yeah. And that's it essentially that once you've got this mask or this second skin that's molded over the top of us, 
nobody sees our true selves and it gets to the point where we, we even forget yeah. what we used to be underneath that mask or that second skin. So the trick to getting, I guess, rid of this mask is just to understanding that you are enough. Like whatever mm. that person underneath is worthy and, you know, this, this little bitch mask you're putting on, yeah. <laughs> just get rid of it. Yeah, that's it. I love it. <laughs> Man, do you want to go uh, another shield we use is perfectionism? Perf- yeah. yeah, perfectionism. So, yeah, it's a defensive move. It's a belief that if we do think things perfectly or if we look perfectly, we can minimize or avoid pain of blame, judgment, and shame. Yeah, so she says that we're not really trying to be perfect. It's almost like trying to earn people's approval by looking perfect. Um, and she says it's you know paralyzing that we can't do things that aren't then perfect. So yeah. essentially, to dare greatly means we have to appreciate the beauty of cracks. In that you know we said earlier, perfect is the enemy of done. Um, the perfect ne- book never leaves a computer, never gets on the shelf, never gets published. Yeah. So yeah, you've got to just appreciate the cracks. Man, it's really good stuff. So the, the second shield is numbing, and the most the most numbing strategy is what people call crazy busy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Man, we've talked about this a little bit. That people are just busy being busy. It's like it's, she says, it's like a, a status symbol to be busy. Yeah, mate. It, it's probably just lately in my life it's crept up. It fucking mm. nothing pisses me off more than <laughs> listening to people who are who just are say. How's it going? And their reply is busy. So busy, <laughs> so it's busy. like they, they're wrapped up in their own self-importance of yeah. being busy. They equate busyness with importance. Yeah, I think that's right. I think people think if they're busy, it means they're doing important things or it means that you know they don't have time to hang out with the, and with the people who aren't busy because they're so busy, they're so great. Mate, so it's, I'd, I'd probably like to see your opinion on this as well, but it's a trend I'd say. I'd say it's had middle management kind of people I know mm. who are doing this busy stuff. Yeah. You compare that to say, you know, we've interviewed some people who are quite successful. None of them have ever used the word busy. They've got they're, all the time yeah, in the world. They're genuinely busy, as in they've got a lot of things on. They could say they, that. they don't actually say that they're busy. Whereas the people who... Mate, the, the one I hate was the people who are busy because, oh, my calendar's full of meetings. Oh, I've got so many meetings on today. Hmm. I'm so busy, I've got so many meetings. But meetings aren't productive. No. Meetings are just going into a room and people talking shit and acting important. Yeah. <laughs> meetings are, yeah. Yeah, no, I think we said in a, in a previous podcast, if, you, if you're the one who uses business as an excuse, yeah. look at Elon Musk's yeah. life. He's got <laughs> yeah. the same amount of time as you. He's pretty busy. And but you've just got busy. fucking little shitty meetings on <laughs> and he's saving the world. But, yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, so another shield is uh, victims or Vikings. So she says basically a victim is a sucker or a loser who's always being taken advantage of. And a Viking is someone who sort of sees that threat. And so instead of becoming a victim, they just become... Uh, a control freak, they dominate, they try to exert power over people. Um, so that's another shield, being either becoming a victim or a Viking. Yep. So instead, we need to redefine success, um, throw a bit of vulnerability back in there. Yeah, nice. And I really like this shield as well, man. I don't like the shield, but I like what she says. Cynicism, criticism, cruel, and cruelty. So if you decide to walk into the arena and dare greatly, you know, and try and make something of your life, you're going to get kicked around. So you're going to be on the end of some mm. cynicism and criticism. But the only way to, I guess, pay attention, the only way to uh, combat this is to pay attention and feedback from the people who are also in the arena. Yeah. If someone's a little bitch in the stadium, yeah. don't listen to their shit. Yeah, ignore listen the Listen to other yeah. people who are having a crack as well. Yeah, that's so true. And that's, I, I think, I don't know if she talks about this or maybe I'm merging a few other books, but people who, um, you know, they... People who maybe were, you used to be like, I don't know, whatever, you used to be friends with back in the day, you change, you grow, you jump in the arena, and they're sitting on the sidelines, they're going to 
either they might be you know concerned that you're in the arena doing shit they might want to hold you back and they're going to be the critic on the sideline but you need to pay attention to the people in the arena yeah that's right don't worry about them mate a couple more quick shields is serpenting so she says slithering along like a snake always trying to dodge vulnerability rather than facing it head on and another shield is letting it all hang out we talked about there's two ways is floodlighting is just sharing absolutely everything which is essentially hiding as well. And the other way is smash and grab, where she says you put something wild out there, like, oh, I don't know, I'm feeling super depressed today, I want to kill myself, mm. and then you grab all the attention you can in one hit, even though it's not really quality stuff. Whereas yeah. you need to slowly build trust with people over time. Don't just smash and grab, throw something ludicrous out there and try and grab all the attention you can. Yeah, nice, man. And then next she goes into more, I guess, taking this work into education and work Mm. so she says most people and organizations can't stand the uncertainty and the risk of real innovation because real innovation does have that i guess you know being vulnerable because you're trying something new really yeah there's always discomfort with trying new things and so it's a fine balance to be able to allow people to stuff up and be vulnerable and not you know shoot people down if they stuff something up allow discomfort to become normal yeah so if you're in an organization i guess if you if you're trying to change your culture the leaders need to expect real learning critical thinking and discomfort should be normalized nice now what about she got a bit of seth godin in here yeah so leadership and she's talking about leadership in general it is scarce because few people are willing to go through the discomfort required to lead this Mm. scarcity makes leadership valuable Man, it's almost like, uh, it sounds a bit like a combination of tribes and the dip in that to become a leader, it's it's tough work. You've got to go through the dip to get to the other side. Yeah. It's a bit more of Seth-esque kind of stuff she's got here. So she, yeah. she takes it into education as well. So when you're younger, there are times when you are, you know, ask questions or challenge your ideas. But if you've got a teacher who doesn't like that or the kids make fun of the people who are putting their hands up and mm. doing the Lisa Simpson... You know, that's bad. So that's when you get thrown into your box. So the current education system doesn't really, mm. I guess, reward the, the kids asking the questions and being the Lisa Simpson. Yeah. You're better off going off and being Bart. Yeah. Or Just... maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not Bart. But... Yeah, nice. Mate, did you have anything on Chapter 7, the parenting? Yeah, so she says if to be a good parent, just quickly in a nutshell, she's saying you've got to let your kids walk on the arena themselves and, you know, they're going to get kicked down in the arena. They're going to get bloody and, and, and blown yeah. up and all that kind of stuff. But you can't hold your kid's hand the whole time and let them go through that vulnerability. You're going to let them go through it themselves. Yeah, that's so true. If so, you're just trying to protect them, that's, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, step back and let them experience the disappointment, deal with conflict, learn how to assert themselves and and fail. Nice. Uh, that's sort of all for me. The final thought, she just hits us with that awesome... Uh, Theodore Roosevelt passage again. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's nice, man. It's a really good passage. I think it's I think it's a really good book. It does it's for me it's all about just stepping up to the plate, walking in the arena and, yeah. and you know, giving something a, a crack. Yeah. And not being a little bitch in the stadium sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. Have a read of that. It's probably what, a hundred words, Max? Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena, look it up, have a read. It's a one less than one minute read. Yeah, um, mate. I didn't really like the book, but now in in review, I like it. <laughs> in the summary form, I like it. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I thought it was a really good book. Obviously. I don't know. I just struggled to connect with it as I was reading, but as I go through and pull out all the stuff, I liked it a lot better. We, le- I think, we read a lot of masculine type books. This is mm. more the feminine kind of Oprah kind of. I'd say any, Oprah book. Any, kind anyone of book. who watched uh, Oprah or listened to Oprah, this is right up their alley. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, 
it's not know, very I, masculine, man, being vulnerable and stuff like that. So I think you're, you're scared of being vulnerable. No, nah, I didn't like the, <laughs> the way she wrote it. I don't know. I, th- I think the way she wrote it, she was too, uh, I don't know. She could have done better. Mate, <laughs> mate, I don't know why I can challenge her, mate. She's fucking, she sold tens yeah, of millions of these copies yeah. in this book. Yeah, it's a big book. So, yeah, I, I recommend it. Go out there and buy it. On and the I think her TED Talk as well. She's got a whole bunch of TED Talks that have been, you know, top 10 in views, I think. Mate, that's it. It's Dare Greatly. It's Dare. Step into the arena. Yeah. Come in the arena, boy! Come in the arena, you little bitch! Don't be a critic. Don't criticize people who are in there in the arena with the blood and the mud on their face. Just go out there and step into the arena and battle. Take off the mask you've been wearing since you were 10 years old. Choke yourself. Show your stuff to the people you know. Don't be a little bitch. Don't be a victim or a viking. Don't be a football joy. Don't be a perfectionist, just put your stuff out there and be vulnerable and dare great. In the arena, in the arena, it's strong and bloody in the arena. Got the spears right in your face and your ass in the arena. Lord Roosevelt made a really good speech. Don't point at how the strong in the arena. Don't point at where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The man in the arena who's faced his mother by blood and sweat and dust Who strives and burrs, who's short and short again Always errors and shortcomings Oh, 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 o